Oh, Crossing Nation, it is so good to be able to spend time with you today. Before I jump into the sermon, last week I was preaching through our state of the church and I was going through our core values. And when I was talking about uh, two of our core values in specific, about our church being outward and our church being downward, I was talking about how our church uh, has a heightened focus on those who don't have a relationship with Jesus and our church has a heightened focus on people who are younger over those who are older. The way I wrapped that terminology in trying to express my passion and commitment to those core values was hurtful. And I know that because I got an incredibly kind email from somebody who basically said, uh, the way you did that stepped on my air hose and it was hurtful. And as I read through it, I was like, uh, you're right. And I'm assuming she's not the only person who uh, I hurt. And so I owe you guys an apology because the gospel of Jesus Christ requires me to care deeply and love deeply the people of this church and to say the gospel message in a caring and kind and compassionate way. And there's going to be times where I'm going to be offensive because the gospel is offensive, but I don't need to be needlessly offensive for the purpose of a joke, a jab, or a sermon filler. You guys deserve better. The gospel deserves better. Jesus deserves better. And so I wanted you to know I'm sorry. I will do better. Uh, Some of you guys will write me a permission slip, but I don't need one and I don't deserve one. I'm a professional communicator and I can figure out ways to communicate my passion in a way that isn't hurtful and offensive. And so I'm sorry. That being said, yeah. I really do, I, I, I really do love you guys, and I'd hate for anything to get in the way of that. So I'm going to do a really good job, if I can, of preaching a sermon today where I don't step in any mud holes. So a uh, woman had a young child, and she wanted him to be mentored by a good uh, teacher. And so she said, would you please spend the day with my son? And so the teacher showed up and took the young boy on a walk through the forest. And as they were walking through the forest, the teacher pointed out a small tree that was barely a couple of days old. And he said, I want you to pull up that tree. And so the boy reached down with his finger and his thumb and he plucked that small tree out of the ground. He goes, good job. They continue walking through the forest and he comes across another tree that's several weeks old and he tells the young boy to pull that tree out. And the boy reaches down and he puts his entire hand around the trunk of the tree and he pulls it out of the ground. They keep walking through the forest and they go a little bit further and they find a tree that's well over uh, six months old and he says, I want you to pull up that tree. And so the boy grabs with both hands and he squats down and he pulls and he pulls and he pulls and eventually he falls back and the roots release from the ground and he pulls up that tree and the teacher goes, good job. They keep walking through the forest and they come across a full grown tree. And he says, I want you to pull that tree up. And the boy goes up and he wraps his arm around the tree and he, his hands barely touching the other side and he pulls and he pulls and he pulls and eventually he cries out, it's impossible to pull up this tree. And the wise teacher turned to the boy and he said, and so it is with your habits. When your habits just begin to blossom, they are easy to remove. But once they are full grown, it is impossible to remove them by yourself. We know this to be true. The good habits that you're trying to form are so easily discarded, right? Last night, Jennifer said, do you want anything from the store? I said, whatever you do, 
Don't get any more of those Hy-Vee cookies because I'm going to try and start dialing it in. And then today, after first service, I said, are you still going to Hy-Vee right after church? She goes, yeah. I go, pick up some of those cookies because there's a Chiefs game today, right? You could, it just doesn't take any time at all. Here's what the teacher was trying to tell the young boy. Get control of your habits before your habits get control of you. I want to welcome those of you joining at all of our different locations, those of you watching online, and those of you who are hanging out at the crossing for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. I got a special word to those of you who are gathering at one of our physical locations. You have made a great decision for your physical and your mental health. Weekly church attendance, weekly church attendance has been scientifically proven to be good for you. All this time you thought God was just being legalistic. And all this time you thought pastors were just trying to boost their numbers. No, 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 no. When God made you, he knew what was good for you and he calls you to things that are good for you. And when you go to church regularly, it is good for you mentally and it is good for you physically. It boosts your immune system. Did you know that? That's probably because there's people who aren't washing their hands when they're coming out of the bathroom. They're like, you're just getting, it decreases your blood pressure. It adds much as two to three years to your life. How many of you want to live longer? If you didn't raise your hand, you should really get right with Jesus today. You don't, I don't know how much time you got left. Regular church attenders are less likely to be depressed and anxious. Those who attend church regularly have a greater sense of purpose, meaning, and satisfaction. The survey also goes to get the same level of satisfaction of going to church regularly, you would need between a seventeen dollars and $25,000 raise. So if you didn't get a $20,000 raise this year, keep coming to church, okay? Because that's the only way you're getting happy. At the very least, you being at church is a gift to yourself and to those you love. It's a habit worth keeping. But today, we are starting a five-week sermon series called Creatures of Habit, Breaking the Habits, Holding You Back from God's Best. It's based on a book by Steve Poe, who's a friend of Jerry and Allison, and he will actually be here for week five of this sermon series. He was a pastor of a large church in Indianapolis, and he has agreed to come and close out this sermon series with us. Nobel Prize winning writer Albert Camus said this, life is a sum of all your choices. And to be honest with you, it's pretty hard to argue with that. It doesn't take a lot of time if you're looking around at your life to realize that you ended up where you ended up because of the decisions that you've been making along the way. You made choices to get where you are right now. Your financial situation, more than likely, is a result of choices that you made. The haircut you have right now, most of you weren't kidnapped. You made that decision, sober. You said, yeah, I want that, which is great. Friends you have. How many of you have friends that you don't really like? The fact that you still have those people in your life is because you refuse to make the decision to deal with it. The clothes you're wearing, you decided that. And how tight they are right now. You, you made that decision too. The scary part is that neurobiologists and cognitive psychologists indicate, check this out, 
that from 40 to 95% of human behavior, that is what we think, what we say, and our overall um, behaviors are based on habits. What that means is if life is based on our decisions and our decisions are largely based on our habits, then there are some unavoidable truths. The first one is that we are creatures of habit. The second truth, our habits form us. But the good news is, if you change your habits, you can change your life. First, we make our habits, and then our habits make us. And there is one habit, one single sin, that is the most destructive habit when it comes to your spiritual growth. If you're going in 2024, I want to get closer to God than I've ever been. This habit will keep you from it. It is the single biggest destroyer of marriages and parenting relationships that you desperately desire to have. If you don't get this one figured out, it's going to hurt your marriage. It's going to hurt your parenting. This one habit limits your ability to be the boss, manager, leader, employee that you want to be. It keeps you from having deep and meaningful relationships. This one habit is the headwaters for so many other sins and vices and harmful habits. It keeps you from experiencing the favor of God. What is this devastating habit? What is this devastating sin? It's the habit, it's the sin of pride. Now some of you, you might be going, well how would I know if I have a pride problem? Let me give you some descriptions. Um, if you are super competitive, you probably have a pride problem. It's not enough for you to just bring your very best. You must decimate somebody in the process. That's why nobody plays Monopoly with me and my family. Because I don't stop until they cry. And you put winning above all else. It's one thing to take pride in your kids, your appearance, your yard, because you want to bring your very best to the table. But if the only way you get true satisfaction is if somebody is defeated, somebody loses, you could have a pride problem. If you are constantly comparing yourself to others, you might have a pride problem. Here's what prideful people do. They pick people to compare themselves to that they know they will win against. They don't pick somebody that will make them get better, become a better husband, become a better wife to compare themselves to. Oh, no, 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 no. They compare themselves to somebody who's worse than them so they can say, well, at least I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. You might struggle with pride if when you heard the topic of the sermon, you went, oh, I wish so-and-so was here because they could really use this sermon. 
if the first thing that popped in your mind was somebody else. Okay, so far everybody's surviving. If you are controlling, you have a pride problem. Because nobody can do it like you do it. No one is as good as you. Your way is the best way to do it, and everyone else's way is not as good as your way. Ladies. Your husband doesn't help fold the towels because your way is the only way to fold a towel. And your kids don't help clean up after dinner and wipe down the countertop because nobody cleans off a countertop as good as you. And it's not that your family's lazy, it's that you're prideful and controlling. (laughs) Fellas, I, I took that one for you. And I want you to remember that, okay? I also need a place to stay this week. (laughs) If you are threatened by people who are smarter than you, more skilled than you, more talented and gifted than you, you might have a pride problem. As a boss, as a leader, you push those people away because You're insecure. You don't want them to be better than you. You don't want to have to compete against people that will push you and challenge you. And so you push talented people away from your company, from your business, from your team. Charlie Munger, who was kind of the cohort of Warren Buffett, said, if we only hire people smaller than us, we will become a company of dwarves. And so your family, your friendships, you push the people away who challenge you so that way you can be in charge. If you are always talking and rarely listening, I'm just raising my hand so that way you know, I I know that I have a pride problem. My wife during first service was like speaking so loud at that point that we had to pause the sermon. Um, You probably have a pride problem. If you don't ask for help, you probably have a pride problem. It's not that you're self-sufficient. It's that you don't want people to know the real you. You would rather they like the fake version of you than love the real version of you. It keeps you from being honest and so your relationships don't grow as deep. If you're a people pleaser, you might struggle with pride. Because you are constantly trying to figure out how to operate your life in a way that will please everybody else because you want everybody else to think really good about you. You, 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 you. You might have a pride problem. You have created a world in which you are the center of the universe. And hear me, if unchecked, pride will lead you to dangerous places. It was because of pride that Satan became Satan. And like Satan, pride will lead to your destruction both in this world and in the world to come. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 says this, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It leads to your eternal 
destruction because a prideful person will never recognize their need for a savior and will continue to sit on the throne of their lives and their hearts. The good news is it does not have to be this way. If we keep reading, in verse 20 it says this, whoever gives heed to instruction prospers and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. This year, 2024, how many of you want to prosper? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, prospering is a good thing. How many of you would like a good thing this year and you would like to prosper? Oh, there we go. We got the smart people clued in. How many of you would like God to bless you? When you are prideful, you cannot heed instruction because pride can't learn anything. But you allow the Lord to instruct you. He says he will prosper you and he will bless you. And the way to do that is we have to get ourselves out of a position of pride. A prideful person will never trust in the Lord. They'll be too busy putting their trust in themselves. So you might be going, but Clayton, how do I deal with pride in my life? Well, Peter, one of the people closest to Jesus, tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Hold on a second. God opposes prideful people. You do not want God as an enemy. You're gonna have enough challenges in your life to have God go, nope. But he shows favor to the humble. God will take a person who walks in humility, clothes themselves in humility, and he will put them in a position to prosper. Verse six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. If you want to fight pride, we need to walk in humility. And here is the promise. As much as God hates pride, he loves humility. If you want to spend all of your energy and all of your effort trying to put yourself above everybody else, God will oppose you. But if you humble yourself, God gets so excited that when he sees it, he runs to it and he lifts it up. Those who humble themselves will be lifted up. So how do I kill pride and live in humility? Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 12, verse three. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, I want you to pay close attention here. Thinking about yourself with sober judgment is not thinking about yourself poorly. It is not going, boy, I'm just bad at everything. I'm not good at anything. Everything about me is absolutely horrible. There's no way God could ever use me. I don't have anything good to say. I don't have any value. That is not humility. That is stupidity. Because when you are saying bad things about you, you are saying bad things about God. Because God made you. 
And God makes good things. Don't believe me? Look what it says right here in Ephesians chapter 2. For we, that's you and me, are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God made you, formed you, put you together, equipped you, put gifts inside of you to be used. You are a gifted, qualified person to accomplish good things with Christ's help. And when we start going, well, I'm just not any good and I can't do anything and I don't have anything to offer, you're making a statement about something good that God made. Imagine your kid were to make you like, you know, we just came out of the gingerbread season. Your kid makes a gingerbread house and he brings it to you and you go, oh, wow, that's trash. Right? You would be saying something about the maker. And when you look at yourself in the mirror, or when you see opportunities to serve and to accomplish God's mission, and you go, well, I just can't, I'm just not, you're making a claim about your maker. This is about having a sober judgment when it comes to you. Thinking of yourself honestly, it means that you're not perfect. It means that you're not the smartest, most gifted person. You're not the most important person in every room. You recognize that God created you to be part of the body of Christ, but you are not Christ. That's what you're supposed to do. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And if you stop thinking about yourself as much as you presently think about yourself, you will be amazed at how much time you have to think about God and others. It moves you into a position to accomplish the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You were created by God to love him and accomplish his mission and to accomplish his mission by loving others. Humility is not going, I can't do anything right. Humility is going, how can I make the lives of people around me better? How can I be used by God and for God? To get an example of what this would look like, look at Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A person who is willing to defeat pride and win in humility sees themselves as a servant. They see themselves as an opportunity to be used by God to make the lives of people around them better. Instead of looking for ways to compete and waiting to be celebrated, they're looking for ways to help others, celebrate others, and serve others. A person who is humble is gonna be asking questions like this. How do I take my gifts that God gave me and use them to make the lives of the people around me better instead of making myself better? How do I use my time, my talents, my money, my gifts, and leverage them 
to love God and love others. It's super easy to take the gift that you have and to use it for you. And we see people doing it all the time. But we have permission slips when we do it ourselves and condemnation when we see it in others. A person who's humble takes what God has given them and they use it to glorify God and to reach and serve people. This week, I want you to find a way to serve your spouse. This week, I want you to find a way to serve your kids. Look for a way to serve your coworkers. See yourself as an agent from God to better their life, to serve and point them to Jesus. This week, find a way to celebrate something in somebody else. Instead of constantly trying to put the spotlight on yourself, turn the spotlight on somebody else. Man, when you did that, that was really good. When I saw that, I really appreciated it. When you are a grateful person, it forces us to keep our pride in check and live in humility because we are celebrating the greatness in others instead of trying to get others to celebrate the greatness in us. Jesus is our supreme example when it comes to this. Look what it says in Philippians chapter two. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's pride. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. It's not devalue yourself, but see the value in others. Not looking to your own interests, that's prideful but each of you to the interests of others. How do I make the lives of people around me better? Keep going. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If Jesus was married to my spouse, what would his mindset be? If Jesus had my job, my responsibilities, my relationships, how, what would his mindset be? Instead of having a mindset that is trying to worship yourself, have a mindset of Christ Jesus. How did he live this out? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see what happens? Jesus humbles himself, and God lifts him up and draws people to him. That's why Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. If anybody has a right to be prideful, don't you think it's Jesus? Like, what's the thing that you're better at than him? Some of you are like, I'm a pretty good counselor. You think you're better than him? Some of you are like, I I mean, I'm a pretty good friend. Think you're better than him? I'm a pretty good doctor. Eh. Think you're better than him? Like the only thing I'm better at than Jesus is swimming. 
Because every time he tries to get in the water, he just walks on it. Like I got a way better backstroke than he does. What's the thing that you think you're better at than Jesus? He shows up at a party. They run out of drinks. He's like, I got you. He's walking by a funeral. He's like, let's cancel it. Like that's just how he operates. You think you're better than him? And Jesus takes all of that greatness. And what does he do? He lays it all down so that you and I could have an intimate personal relationship with him and have the hope of heaven. Jesus didn't come with all of that greatness and go, serve me. He brought all of that greatness to bear, to purchase something that you and I could have never purchased on our own, our salvation. And in doing so, he made a way for you and I to have the hope of heaven in our hearts. And maybe, maybe if you and I were to live in humility, God could use us to do the same. That when we humble ourselves and leverage our lives for the good of God and the good of others, maybe, just maybe, he will use us to draw people into his kingdom as well. I hope you'll think about that as we move to this time, a decision. To those of you in here today that have never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus and those of you who are watching online, I'm gonna say some hard things, so I'm gonna poke you for just a little bit, but I'm poking you in love. The reason you haven't started a relationship with Jesus Christ today might be because you have a pride problem. You think you don't need him. But the Bible clearly says that the way to the Father is through the Son. That Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. You are not in that equation. The way to the Father is not through you. It's not through your abilities. It's not through your good works. It's through him. And pride might be keeping you thinking, I don't need God to be my savior. I'll save myself. Good luck. If you could fix you, God wouldn't have sent his son to die for you. Some of you, you like the idea of God being your savior. You just don't like the idea of him being your Lord, him being in control of your life. You having to take everything that you've amassed for yourself and turn it over to him. And not wanting to turn your life over to Jesus is a pride problem. Some of you deep down inside, you just still feel like you gotta earn it. That you gotta fix it. That you gotta somehow make it happen on your own. That's pride. The Bible tells us that salvation is a gift from God so that no one can boast. When you and I get to heaven, we're not gonna be going, I'm here because I'm so awesome. I got in here, because I'm so good. No, Christians don't boast in themselves. Christians boast in the cross. If there's anything good in you today, it is not from you. It comes from him. Who's the one who puts the Holy Spirit inside of you? who produces things in you that you can never produce on your own. If there's anything good in me, if I'm making a good parenting decision, it's because of the cross. If I'm navigating a marriage thing and I'm doing it the right way, it's because of the cross. If there's anything that I'm doing that's having a positive effect, it's because of him. Christians glory in the cross. 
We don't boast in ourselves. We boast in him doing the thing that we could never do and giving us an opportunity to participate in a mission that we don't deserve to participate in. Humility goes, it's because of Jesus. Pride goes, I don't need him. And a prideful person will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so for some of you today, for some reason you've been putting it off for a really, really long time. What I can tell you is, life without Jesus at the center only hurts you and those you love. And maybe today, you will answer the prayers that people have been praying on your behalf for a really long time. And you'll humble yourself and allow Jesus Christ to become Lord and Savior of your life. And if that's where you are, in just a few moments when the people around you stand and sing, I'm gonna encourage you to go right over there by that baptistry or maybe talk to somebody who brought you about how you can start that relationship with Jesus Christ. To the rest of you in here, the Christians, we have a lot of work to do if we're gonna kill pride and live in humility. Some of you, you need to finally admit that you have a problem. The relationships and the blessing of the relationships that God wants to give you are being hindered by your inability to be honest about the hurt and the heartache and the struggles that you have. And so you're stuck in shallow relationships. And God's saying, if you'd humble yourself, if you'd kill the pride, I could give you a relational gift that you cannot imagine. The people around you are way more loving and way more caring than you ever thought. And I have purpose built them and equipped them to help you navigate the things that you're navigating. You have no idea what it'll be like when you can finally be real and known and loved. But Satan keeps telling you that you'll be rejected. Satan keeps telling you, you handle this. Some of you, there are people that you need to apologize to. You've hurt them, you know you have, but pride keeps you from saying you're sorry. And so it infects your marriage, it infects your parenting, it infects the relationships that you have at work because pride doesn't want to admit when it's wrong. But in humility, when we go to people and offer a genuine apology, God can use that to open a door to reconciliation and to the advancement of his mission. Some of us, we haven't told some of our friends about Jesus because we're worried about rejection. Because in pride, we're worried about what other people think of us more than what he thinks of us. And pride is keeping us from living on mission like he has called us to, like he has rescued us to. And so there are people today that don't know Jesus because the pride in our lives from yesterday. This year, 2024, would you humble yourself? Ask God to do a work in you that only he can do. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that you would just shut out all of the distractions and allow every person in this room and online to be able to focus on exactly what it is that you want them to do. 
God, creating us a desire to be humble. Bring about changes in our hearts and our lives that could be transformative. God, Satan is trying to destroy us, but you have come that we may have life and life to the full. And God, pride wants us to keep trusting in our own paths and our own ways, but humility wants to lean on your ways and your understanding and acknowledge you in all of our ways. And so God, as we come to this moment right now, give us the strength to humble ourselves. Use us, Lord, to advance your mission, to reach the lost, and to live the life that you've called us to. In your name I pray, amen.